Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. Let's look at the Word of God. I was preaching a series, have been preaching a series, on the armor of God. Let's read the passage again in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now we opened that series with a few remarks about the nature of spiritual warfare, um, but the gist was that uh, was simply to remind us, uh, for one thing, who the enemy is. There is, again, and of course, a place in our lives as believers for political involvement, for community activism, for patriotism, for military service, for bringing our Christian worldview into every uh, segment of our culture and society. But it is also possible to get so wrapped up in uh, the culture wars or anything else that we forget that what we are fighting for is the souls of men and women who are lost without Jesus Christ. And the enemy of our souls can deceive us and distract us and use even good causes to shift our focus into anything but the saving of those souls. The Holy Spirit, through Paul, is offering us instructions, commands even, to remember that this war is spiritual and that our weapons are spiritual and that we are to put on the whole armor of God, starting in his list with the belt of truth. The belt of truth is the, the truth of the gospel, the central truth of the gospel, that Jesus Christ died for our sins, that he is the only way to God the Father. And this truth binds all of this together, binds all the rest of the armor together. The belt of truth is that which all the other weapons hang from and hold together on. The breastplate of righteousness, again, protects our hearts. Uh, if a fiery dart of condemnation strikes our hearts, then our hearts will condemn us. And it is impossible to be in faith, truly in faith, if you are walking around in condemnation. And so the breastplate of righteousness is a perfect picture because we realize it is something other than something in ourselves. The righteousness that protects us is not our righteousness. It is his righteousness that we put on. Uh, the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace remind us of a, a couple things. Primarily, I believe, that we are walking, that we are going somewhere, that we are on a mission. Ray Hollis, who was a, a speaker at one of the early, one of my early trips to Summer Scream uh, back in the probably early 2000s, possibly the late 90s even, but he had a saying that he repeated every day that week, which was, I am someone going somewhere to do something for God. 
That was the thing he had the campers repeat and repeat. It's that mission to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And of course, it's not just the shoes of the gospel of peace, but preparation of the gospel of peace. Meaning, we must know, we must study, we must prepare before we share. The shield of faith is our defense against all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And we talked about how uh, this picture of the shield, those leather shields in order to quench these literal fiery darts or flaming missiles, had to be soaked, had to be saturated in water. And our shield of faith has to be saturated in the water of the word if it is going to protect the things that are behind that shield. Uh, and remember, the things that the shield is protecting are things that God has already given us, right? Everything he's promised us, peace, joy, hope, healing, protection, deliverance, provision, and so on. The helmet of salvation, where we were two weeks ago, speaks to the renewing of the mind. It protects our head. It protects our mind. We looked at, uh, last week at two truths. One is that at the moment you make Jesus Christ your Lord, you are a new creation. You are born again. You are saved at that moment. But you also have a lot of changing to do. Your spirit is saved, but you need to learn a new way of thinking. Your salvation gives you the impetus and the ability to renew your mind. And that mind, as we mentioned, is kind of a, a, it's a battleground. It is the interface between the spirit realm and the physical world that we inhabit. Uh, the interface between the flesh and the spirit is the mind. And uh, this is the process. When we talk about one of the applications of, uh, of the phrase, we who are being saved, is this process, this renewal, this sanctification, which we are, when we are learning to think and respond, uh, and we should be getting better at this as we mature in the Lord, where, where this becomes more reflective, uh, reflexive, more natural to simply respond as spiritual people. But we have to train ourselves to think a certain way. Uh, meditate, set your mind on things above, and you will walk after the Spirit. I want to make a couple more comments about the helmet and the battle, battlefield of the mind, as it were, before we move on to the sword of the Spirit today. Um, when we look at what we are to be about as believers, uh, and I think this is unfortunately even more common in churches like ours, Word of Faith churches, Spirit-filled churches, full gospel churches, however you want to categorize this. I'm not crazy about labels because those different labels mean different things to different people. I would categorize us as a Word of Faith church, uh, but that's dicey because when some people hear Word of Faith, immediately uh, there are some caricatures that pop up and I don't like to get into arguments defending things that I don't believe in the first place, so save that discussion for another day. Uh, anyway, there is an unfortunate tradition in our ranks, I think, to disparage uh, education, to disparage intellect, uh, deep thought, um, and, you know, and, and even takes the form of certain sermons, which is like this, that you, what you need to do is learn to just ignore your mind and do everything in the spirit. And it's kind of an esoteric way of, of expressing things. But this idea that we're not supposed to use our mind, we're supposed to operate only in the spirit, that's not really what the Bible teaches. You know, uh, I understand, and I preach this myself, when we talk about the advantages and the advisability of praying in the spirit, as Paul said, when my spirit prays, my mind is unfruitful. So what does he say? Uh, this is good because I don't want my mind to be fruitful. No. Does he say, well, so I'm not going to pray in the Spirit because I want my mind to be fruitful? No. He says, I'll pray with the Spirit 
and I'll pray with the understanding. I'm going to pray in ways that my mind is fruitful, but I'm also going to, and this is the phrase that get used, gets used a lot, that I agree with. When we pray in the Spirit, we are bypassing the bottleneck of the intellect where I don't have to sort things out in my mind. I can simply let the Spirit pray through me. But that's not to say we can't engage our minds and train our minds to think spiritually. That's a whole other message. Praying on, and praying in the Spirit. All I'm saying here is that his point in this particular activity, uh, his mind was not involved. He's not saying never use your mind. You know, when we use words like mindless, brainless, thoughtless, those are negative terms, aren't they? Those are insults. We don't want to be those people. Uh, we, now, we ha- again, we've talked about how the mind is the interface between the flesh and the spirit. A good friend of mine uh, who's a doctor, and uh, years ago he shared with me... Uh, he, he, I, one of the things I love about him, and I, I love ha- having him as my doctor, is that, uh, and I've talked about him before, he loves to explain things. When he gives you a, when he prescribes a medication or a procedure, he tells you this is why this works, and he breaks it down uh, to what's exactly going on in your body. And he's a believer as well. And he talked about how, you know, the brain, he believes in the spirit world, he believes obviously in the, in the flesh, he's a, he's a medical doctor, but he also understands that how the mind there is that sort of a, a barrier or interface between those two worlds. He says, when you take a psychoactive drug, you take LSD or something like this, particularly, uh, or even uh, going to one of these extreme sensory deprivation tanks uh, that, are, that are designed to uh, shut the mind off, and, uh, or uh, again, uh, LSD, he says, what happens is you experience a deterioration, a breakdown in that interface between the spirit and the physical, and you wind up on an, what he called an unescorted journey into the spirit world. He says, and this is what happens when people have bad trips. Now, I think, uh, I think at best you wind up on an unescorted trip into the spirit world spirit world. At worst, I think you find yourself with a demonic escort. All right? So the key is not to shut down the mind. It's not to turn the mind off and get rid of this mental barrier between where we are and the spirit realm. It's to put on the mind of Christ. It's to meditate on things above. It's to set our mind in spiritual directions. He gave us our brains. He gave us our minds. He gave us our souls. And we are to engage them. Remember, the spirit responds to God. The flesh responds to temptation and sin and the devil. It's where we set our mind that's going to determine, am I going to walk after the spirit, walk after the flesh? So, as it says in Romans, put on Christ. All right? We set our minds on Christ things above, and we put on the armor of God. All right. Uh, Today, we are going to look at the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And the first thing I notice is that of all the components in the armor of God, only the sword is a truly offensive weapon. Uh, Certainly, many people find the Word of God offensive today, right? Uh, Please remember this. Our sword... In spiritual warfare is certainly the Word of God but the Word of God is not only a sword what I mean is this I, this is a point I tried to make about the shield of faith and I didn't do a very good job of illustrating it if I say something like uh, 
uh, baseball bats are made of wood. And then somebody said, oh, okay, uh, so wood is baseball bat, right? If, you, if, if I ask you, well, what is wood? Well, it's, it's, it's baseball bats. Well, not everything that's made of wood is a baseball bat, right? But just to sort of say that baseball bats are made of wood is not the same thing as saying that wood is baseball bats. Uh, glass. What can I do with glass? Well, I can make somebody say, what is glass? Well, you see that window over there? That's glass. Oh, okay. Hey, get me a glass of water. Wait a second. I'm supposed to get you a window of water? No, no, no. There's other things you can do with glass. The Word of God is our sword, but it is not only a sword. And if we picture it as a sword, we are going to hurt some people if the Word of God is only a sword in our mind. Because sometimes that sharp, sharp Word needs to be wielded more like a scalpel than it does a sword. We don't go into every situation with every person in our lives trying to chop their heads off. Which is what we try to do sometimes when we, when we start in a friendly conversation then it turns into a debate, and then an argument, and then a fight. We're trying to win a person, right? Now, uh, I also want to point out that the Word of God, according to the Word of God, is not simply a sword. What else is it? It's a seed. It's bread. It's water. What else? It's a mirror. Many, many things that the Word of God is illustrated as, right? Um, but we look at its sharpness in Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. Well, verse 12, it says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. This is a famous passage, and I want you to think about this, especially in light of what we just learned about the helmet of salvation and the renewing of the mind. We talked about how this battleground is the mind, and when we read the word soul here, we are at least talking in part about the mind, the division between. The Word of God can divide between uh, soul and spirit, between mind and spirit, and this can be hard. It, it's in simple ways. You know, if I get an urge, if I get an unction or a feeling to do something, how do I know if this is my spirit man or is the Lord leading me to do this, to say this? Is it my idea, or is it just something you know, that popped into my mind? Is it my mind, or is it my spirit? Um, for one thing, we studied in, in our small group last time, in uh, Jim and Ray Knight's small group, uh, that you can, you can learn to hear the voice of your shepherd. You can learn to recognize the voice of the Lord. And with practice, uh, that becomes easier. Uh, but more to the point, we trust the Word of God to sort it out. Let me give you, get closer to a concrete example. We start with outside voices, prophetic utterances, words spoken over you, words spoken in general. Uh, and Brother Hagin said this as probably more often than I ever heard anybody say it, which was when somebody gives you a word or speaks a word in general, claiming to be operating under a prophetic anointing, he said, don't reject it because the Bible tells us not to despise prophecies. But if it doesn't register with you, especially if they're talking about your life, thus saith the Lord, you need to do this or this is happening. If it doesn't immediately resonate with you, if it doesn't bear witness, uh, set it on the shelf. Pray over it. Don't act quickly on it. Take time to compare it to what you know about the Word of God. 
the first thing, yeah, if it doesn't bear witness, it might bear witness because somebody's just making something up because they're missing it. It might be not bear witness because you are not spiritually in tune. But the first thing we measure it against, absolutely the first thing, is what does the written Word of God say? The written Word of God will go a long way to sorting out a lot of this confusion and separating what is some, th- simply coming out of somebody's mind or coming from the Word of God or the Spirit. You know, charisma and force of, personal, uh, force of personality and even signs and wonders. You know, the Bible talks about lying signs and wonders. Uh, you know, there was some clown down in Florida, and this wasn't a long, long time ago. Uh, he claimed, uh, I don't remember his name, but he claimed he was the second coming of Jesus Christ. You remember, anybody remember? This guy had millions of followers in 2005. He claimed he was the second coming of Christ. Oh, and that he was also the Antichrist. And people believed him. Millions of people believed him. Worldwide, people believed him. Now, how do I know? Now, when this guy who is speaking so forcefully and attracts such a following, how do I know he's not? How do I know it's really not him? And I love uh, about this, this simple question, I've shared this story before. It's still one of my favorite uh, memories of Canaan land. When we were down there, Mylon Lefebvre came down and spent a couple sessions talking to the guys and teaching them. And, and he was uh, telling about how these people making all these claims. He goes, man, he says, you know, as the day draws near to the actual return of Christ, you're going to have more and more people claiming. He's over here. He's over there. We saw him. He's back. He said, how do you know who to listen to? How do you know these people aren't lying? And he said this, look, if he's not coming back in clouds of glory with all of his angels for the world to see, it's not Jesus, pal. (laughs) Now I understand it's not always that obvious. More often we are deceived because of our own desires. It's easier to hear, uh, either in our hearts or from somebody speaking into our lives, the things that we want to hear. That doesn't mean that somebody speaking what you want to hear isn't God, but that's certainly easier to receive. Is it? Yes, that's what I already thought. That's what I decided. So let it be done. Must be God. So what do we do? Again, we compare it to what the Word of God says. And we also have to learn to distinguish between something that is unscriptural or anti-scriptural to something that is simply extra-scriptural. Uh, one easy example would be this. Is it possible that the Lord speaks to me in a dream in a vision, through a prophetic voice, through an unction. Scott, I want you to go to Rama Bible Training Center, Rama Bible College. Is that possible? Yes. Do I believe it happened? I do believe it did. Can I find chapter and verse saying, Scott, go to Rama Bible College? I cannot. What can I do? I can find a verse that says he'll order my steps, that he will lead me and guide me into his purposes. All these principles track with the word of God. And, uh, and then we can get into things that are a little more, again, esoteric. If we see manifestations of the Spirit in our midst, that there's nothing in the Bible saying this will happen, does that mean we reject them? No, as long as they don't violate Scripture. You know, and we used to have what we called Holy Ghost meetings where there were mass displays of, of what looked like a literal drunkenness and people laughing and twitching and falling out under the power. Can I find a a scriptural reference for things that maybe look like that? Eh, Maybe on the day of Pentecost when people accused them of being drunk. Uh, The laughter, hmm, I don't know. 
but do I see anything in any of that that violates or contradicts Scripture? No. Uh, it's one of those things that we've got to say, is this something that's anti-scriptural, or is it simply something that God can do? God is not going to limit himself to certain things, but he is never going to contradict his own word. Right? So, if we are going to apply the sharpness of the word of God to de determine if something is soulish or demonic or godly, uh, we really need, again, to look to Jesus. Jesus uh, in the temptation episode in the wilderness. Satan came to him, tempted Jesus to turn stones to bread, to cast himself off uh, from the pinnacle of the temple, and to kneel before him to receive the, uh, to receive the worship from Jesus, and, so, and, he, with, and he would re reward him with all the kingdoms of the earth. And Jesus responded every time with what? It is written. He responded every time with the revealed word of God. Now, I'm not wrapping this up, so when I say next week, don't think I'm done, but I'm not as far away from it as you might think. Next week, we are going, I think, to wrap this up. I might have to do one more message on the sword of the Spirit, but I intend to wrap this up next week uh, with a message about how to put this armor on. If we talk about what this armor is, and I know we've talked a little bit about it already, it's one thing to know what the armor is. How do we put, how do we don this armor? But today I do want to talk about how we use, how we wield this sword because there is really only one obvious way to employ it as a sword. Remember, the word is a mirror. We gaze into it and we examine ourselves in it. The word is water. It cleanses us. The word is a seed. We sow it and we reap a harvest. The word is food. We take it in and it nourishes us. But the word is a sword, and in order to use it as a sword, we must speak it. You cannot employ the word of God any other way than to speak it. At a men's prayer yesterday, Pastor Mike read this passage, and I kind of smiled because of where I was going this morning. You can look at Luke chapter 6 beginning in verse 43. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Uh, for every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. And then here's the actual scripture, I think, that, that Pastor Mike read. Brood of vipers, this is Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 34. Brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word that men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Whatever is in your heart, your innermost being in abundance, that is what's going to come out of your mouth in abundance, especially under pressure, reflexively, naturally. This matters because the Word of God tells us again and again and again that our words have power and it matters what comes out of our mouth in every situation 
We need to make sure that what is in us in abundance is the stuff we want coming out of us when we need our words to have power, right? How much power? How about this? Life and death are in the power of the tongue. James writes that the untamed tongue sets on fire the course of nature and is itself set on fire by hell. Now, the untamed tongue. Now, James does say no man can tame the tongue, but James does not call the tongue untamable. This is a different message, and you may have, you've probably heard me share it before if you've been here any length of time. The tongue can be tamed, just not by us. Holy Spirit can tame our tongue, right? God can tame our tongue, but we've got to yield it to him to do that. It's a different message. We can go on and on about the power of words, but we are looking specifically at the sword of the Spirit, and the point I'm making is that the only way we can wield the Word of God as a sword is by speaking it. And we must train ourselves to speak that. Speak the Word of God rather than evil words, idle words, defeatist words, any words that are contrary to the Word of God. In short, we have to make sure that the Word of God is in us in abundance. Now let me stress this again. There's nothing wrong with speaking positive things, with making positive confessions that are in line with the Word of God. But it's super important that what, that what we speak in these situations, these, these spiritual battles, is the Word of God. Not my words, spoken positively and hopefully and even faith-filled. It's God's Word. It is written. What does the Word of God say? We must know this, and it's got to be in our hearts. How do we get the Word of God in our hearts? In abundance. I want God's Word in abundance because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and when the mouth speaks, things happen. Things change. There's power in my words, whether they're good or bad or idle. So how can I get the Word of God in me, in my heart? There's a practical, simple consideration here. If I am to judge every voice, respond to every word directed at me, whether it's an enemy or a so-called prophet, I must judge it by what I know about the Word of God. So here's an idea. For starters, read your Bible. I did that. Read it again. I did that. Read it again. Try a different translation. Try reading it backwards. No, I'm kidding. Just read it. Read it. Keep reading it. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commandments. For, days, for a length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart and so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. I read an article uh, very recently, as a matter of fact. I was probably looking, looking for something along this line, writing God's word on your heart. How do you write God's word on your heart? And I looked at this article by some minister. Wait, wait, wait. I don't think he was evil or anything. It was just a little bit uh, silly because this guy, he kept quoting this verse here. Look, see here where it says, write, write them on the tablets of your heart. God's command here is to tell us to pray that he would write his words on our heart. Like It doesn't say that at all. But he said this three times in three different ways. He took this verse and said, see, 
the command there is for us to pray to God that he would write his word on our heart. But this is not what it says. It tells us to write his word on our heart. Doesn't it? Right? How do we do that? Now this is more of a clue than an immediate strict application of scripture. But let's read this. In Psalm chapter uh, psalm 45 verse 1 it says this my heart is overflowing with a good theme i recite my composition concerning the king my tongue is the pen of a ready writer now i believe what the psalmist is saying here is that he doesn't have to think he doesn't have to strain he doesn't have to scramble for words that what he's about to say about god is just what he's full of it's about to come spilling flowing out of him but I like this image of the tongue as a pen. Maybe one of the most effective ways to inscribe the Word of God on the tablet of my heart is to speak it over myself. I read it. I meditate on it. I remember it. I speak it. Listen, have you ever, how many of you have ever taken a speech class? High school or college? Uh, how many of you ever had to give an oral book report? How many of you sat in class nervous about your turn to deliver your speech or your book report? How many of you have sat in class, in speech class or book reports, and just gotten more and more nervous as you hear horrible book report after horrible book report or horrible speech after horrible speech? The worse somebody else does, the more you can visualize yourself doing poorly you know what I mean? And where am I going with this? I'll tell you where I'm going with this. I took speech class in high school because it was a requirement if you're going to go to college. And I couldn't stand the idea any more than most people can. They say public speaking is the number one fear. What's number two? Death. <laughs> I love what uh, that great uh, minister Jerry Seinfeld said. He says that means that most people, if they have to go to a funeral, would rather be in the coffin than delivering the eulogy. <laughs> no, but here was. I was scared, and I watched these goofballs in my class get up and just fumble over their speeches. I'm like, oh, I don't want to look like that, so what did I do? I wrote my little eight-minute speech or nine-minute speech or whatever it was. I wrote it out, and I memorized it. I, I practiced it. I didn't just read it. I read it. I read it. I read it. I practiced it in front of a mirror. I practiced it every... I must have delivered this speech for a high school speech class. And I know these guys that are getting up there and these girls that are getting up there making fools of themselves, are, are walking away with B's and C's. I didn't need an A, I just need to get through it, but I didn't want to look like an idiot, so I drilled this stupid speech on the mafia that I could probably give you right now. All so I wouldn't look stupid. But man, I knew my stuff. I didn't have to, I barely had to look at my notes when I got up there. And you know what the teacher said? And we were supposed to critique one another afterwards, and that was part of the little thing in your gut. You know, it's like, when we're done, you're going to receive on-the-spot critique from me and the rest of the class. And when I got done, the teacher looked at me, and you know what she said? Wonderful. That's all she said. And from that moment, I'm telling you, God did something in my heart at that moment. Because at that moment, you know what I believed? 
I am a wonderful speech giver. <laughs> speech is easy. I'm a natural at this. I clearly wasn't. I knock, I beat my brains out preparing myself for a stupid eight or nine minute speech on the mafia. But I believed something at that moment. Now, and that was for something that's unimportant. Can we, what, what about looking at these passages of Scripture, get a Charles Capps book on the promises of God, promises for healing, promises for your finances, and start remembering them? When you read them again, I'm going to read it, I'm going to read it. Now I'm going to read it out loud, and now I'm going to try to recite it from memory. In military terms, you know what that is? It's called drill, drilling battle drills we can just call it practice why am i bothering saying this again and again because i'm writing it on my heart i'm trying to get it in abundance i'm trying to fill my tank on what i'm going to need in the day of battle i know that whatever it is i am remembering and filling up on and kids and grown-ups, listen to me, you know this is true. You don't have to try too hard to get some things written in your heart or locked in your memory. How many of you can still sing songs that you heard just because they were on the radio so many times when you were in seventh grade? We learn these things. We, if you watch a movie 20 times, you can quote most of it by heart. We do that with the Incredibles in our house. <laughs> this is not about you. Thank you, Beth. And, the, and, and, and it works with the Word of God, too. Listen, well, I just, boy, I try. You know, I've read that before. I just didn't remember it. How many times did you read it? How many times did you listen to it? Did you read it out loud? Did you read it to one another? You get, it, it takes a few times. You're not going to have the Bible memorized by reading it once. But it is worth doing. It is worth getting in your heart because whatever you fill your tank up with is what's going to come out of your mouth. And whatever comes out of your mouth is powerful and can change the course of your life. How powerful are the words of our mouths? Praise and worship team, you can be coming up here. Here's one great example of how powerful my words are that, oh, and your words are that this. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's a pretty powerful confession, isn't it? Stand up with me. You can look at pictures of the cross. You can hear a gospel presentation. And you can even be convinced of how true it is. But Paul says that with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that his death on the cross was necessary to pay the price for your sin? And do you believe that God raised him from the dead? And are you willing to confess him as Lord? Do you believe all these statements about Jesus and are you willing to say yes, yes, yes?
that is a Savior I need, therefore He is the Lord I need. You can't just take His salvation. You've got to be willing to put Him in charge. You've got to be willing to say, the life that God has for me sounds a lot better, looks a lot better, demonstrably is a lot better than the life I'm hanging on to right now. Even if it looks like, to a lot of people, a good life. Is there anybody who needs to make that decision today? I'm going to pray, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to this. Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence in this place today, as always. And we thank you for your word, your revealed will and the written word of God. And we thank you that in that word, you've told us just how important and how powerful the words we speak are. So first of all, I want to say sorry for any time we've not taken that seriously, when we've treated the words of our mouths like something less than the powerful, powerful things they are. And forgive us for not filling up on your word. It really is our desire that your word dwell in us in abundance so that we can be effective, not just for ourselves, but for one another in the kingdom of God and in the spiritual warfare. Father, I pray right now, I know I'm praying on behalf of every believer in this room, that if there's anybody in here who has never made Jesus Christ their Lord, has never come to you in uh, acknowledging their need for a Savior and embracing you as a loving, saving Father, that they would be convinced and convicted of their need for salvation right now. That they would believe that Jesus is the Son of God and believe that you have raised him from the dead. And that, they would, that you would grant them, Lord, the humility and the boldness and the wisdom to accept this invitation and receive your salvation now in Jesus' name. Is there anybody here today who says, today's my day. I don't know what I've waited for. I don't know why I've waited all this long. Something clicked today. Today's my day. I want to confess Jesus Christ is my Lord. I desire to be saved. I need to be born again. I want to be blessed, called, healed, whole. And I know now, like I never knew before, that Jesus is the only way to that blessing, that calling, that healing, and that wholeness. Anybody today desire to become a Christian, to be born again? Anybody? Just raise your hand. Praise the Lord. I say praise the Lord. I haven't seen any hands. I'm saying praise the Lord because I believe that that means everybody in here who has made that decision, everybody has made that decision. If you haven't, and something kept you from raising your hand, this is way too important just to say, eh, maybe someday. Come see me in my office, out in the hall, somewhere, before you leave. Maybe there's just one question you need answered. Let me try to answer it for you. God loves you. He is good and wants to provide all these things that we've been singing about and celebrating. He wants to provide those things for you. Amen? Praise the Lord. You can be seated for just a moment and get ready to dismiss. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.